Well, let's get right into his word. I want you to look with me to the screen or open your Bible to the book of Philippians. I want to go start from where I ended last week. I want you just to quickly look the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, and I am certain, everybody say I'm certain, that God who began the good work within you, he will continue his work. Everybody say he'll continue his work. Whose work is it? It's his work, right? So he began it. He's going to finish it. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, I want you to say this out loud, everything that has happened to me. That's going to be our theme today. I want you to say it again. Everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news, he says. He says, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. So Paul had been in chains, and we're going to look into that just briefly. But there are some chains that were put on him unjustly, but for the cause of Christ. And Paul is testifying here that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. And that's his whole purpose. He says, they all know the reason I'm in chains is because of Christ. And because, everybody say, and because, which means, right, that there is a condition. A because means this equals this, right? This, and then my result is this. So, and because of what? Because of my chains, which no one likes. No one wants to be in chains. But because of those chains, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence. So I've paid a price, Paul said, and it's actually been hard on me, but it's helping to further the kingdom. It's helping the other believers here, and they have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I'm just going quickly here into chapter 3, because remember that when they wrote these books of the Bible, we read them as books, and you can look at one single verse, and there are lessons in that verse, there are messages in that verse, uh, but there is, uh, Philippians was a letter, right? Everybody's aware of this, so he's writing some common themes, so I just want to breeze over here to Philippians 3, verse 1, and it says, in most translations, it says something like, finally, or further, He's going on, he's continuing his thought from chapter 2, because there was no chapter then. So he's saying some things through chapter 2, some hard times. Timothy went through some hard times, but it's all for the cause of Christ. And then he goes into chapter 3 and says, finally or further. But I love what the NLT says, because it says, whatever happens. Everybody say, whatever happens. Can we confidently say that? Can we confidently say to the Lord, whatever happens, 
whatever happens, because he just testified in chapter 1 that everything that's happened has been actually for the good. It wasn't very pleasant for Paul, but everything that's happened has actually furthered the kingdom of God. So he goes in chapter 3, and that's why the translators here in the NLT thought it was good to put a continuation here, because that's what he's trying to convey is this, this theme here. So I wanted to tell you something, he says. Whatever happens to me, or whatever happens in your life, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever you go through, rejoice. And then he goes into chapter 4. He says it again. Chapter 4, verse 4. So he says, I always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. So his theme is that He's saying, the Lord said he would do it, he's going to do it. Amen? We just sang that song. The Lord said, I'm going to complete it, he's going to complete it. Which means, if I were to interpret my scenario or my circumstances right now through the flesh and through lower natural earthly understanding, I would interpret it as I'm stuck here in prison, I'm stuck in chains. But instead... I'm going to interpret my circumstances through the Word of God, which is the higher understanding. Everybody say it's the higher understanding. It's the, it's the understanding that surpasses. We're going to see that here in chapter 4. I'm going to look through those lenses, and it tells me that God is still faithful, and so I'm going to rejoice no matter my circumstances are good or bad. I never get tired of telling you these things, he says in chapter 3, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So he continues here, and I want you to look at Philippians 4, verse 6 in the Amplified Classic, because the word the Lord had given me last week was don't fret. And it's not a word I use often, and usually when the Lord does that, when I hear something like that in my spirit, I have to then go look it up. I might have to think about it. Maybe I know the verse in the other translation, but usually it's the Lord trying to get my attention. And the whole point of the Philippians that I went into last week and I want to springboard from today is to get us to this. Everybody ready? He says here in verse 6, so I'm bringing this all together, Paul is, to tell you this. So don't fret. Everybody say, I'm not going to fret. It says, or have any anxiety about anything. Don't have anxiety about anything. He says, but in every circumstance and in everything, everybody say, anything, every, and everything. Are we missing anything? So he says, by prayer and petition, right? There's two types of prayers. They call it supplication. It's we pray to the Lord, but then there's a prayer request, right? There's a prayer that's giving him thanks. It's giving him praise. It's loving him. That's all in prayer. And then there's a supplication. That's a word we don't use a lot in Christianity, but it's an older translation. It's the petition. It's where we go to him requesting. And it says, I want you to take it all to the Lord. Say, we're going to take it all to the Lord, right? Just say it in your spirit. Lord, I'm going to give you everything. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to have anxiety about, anxiety about anything. Every circumstance, everything, there's one answer. I'm going to bring it to you. 
I'm going to bring it in prayer. I'm going to request, Lord, that your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness surround me, your blood cover me and my family, your angels surround us. Lord, you go before us and you're our rear guard, and I'm going to do it all thanking you that it's already done, that you've taken care of me so far, that you're going to continue to, and it says, continue to make your wants known to God. And verse 7 says, and God's peace. Who wants God's peace? This is what we looked at last week, right? I want God's peace. Ultimately, who wants to be at peace? Who loves the place where you're not in peace? Anybody love that place? Now listen, the reason I went through from Philippians 1, and the reason I wanted to read those verses to you is because I want you to understand the place that Paul was writing from. Paul was in chains, and for that matter, un justly. So before I read verse 7, I just want to give you a very quick history lesson of what's happening here. You can go and read it in your own time, but it starts in Acts 20. In Acts 20, Paul said, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Who remembers? Now what happens is the Spirit of the Lord is impressing on him he needs to go to Jerusalem. And while that's happening, you can look in chapter 21 that two separate occasions people came and prophesied over him, don't go to Jerusalem. They said, all I see ahead of you if you go there is trouble. And Paul says to them, the Lord's, he says, basically, he says, it's the Holy Spirit who's calling me to go there. My life means nothing to me. And then it says that when it was clear they couldn't persuade him, they said, the Lord's will be done. They said, the Lord's will be done. So they could tell in the spirit, sometimes you know in the spirit something ahead of your life, you know, it's not going to be comfortable for a season, but it's still the Lord's will. Why? Because... We must endure for the greater purpose for the kingdom of God, right? We're furthering the kingdom of God. And we are growing in the midst of that, right? God is refining us, and there's people all along the way that are being touched by your life. You may not even know that yet, but one day, the Lord's going to show you all the lives that were changed because you endured and stayed with the journey the Holy Spirit had you on, even though it was uncomfortable at times. And so what happens? Well, history is uh, already written for us. We don't have to guess, right, exactly what Paul knew would happen. The prophets knew would happen. They arrest him. He appears before the high council. Then he ends up before Felix, uh, who's the governor. And finally, then he ends up before the king, King Agrippa. And uh, what happens is, is the Lord comes and gives him a dream. And in the dream, the Lord says to him uh, that it's my will and that I want you, you're going to go to Rome and that's me and it's, and it's going to be from me and it's for my purpose. And so Paul already knows that the Lord's with him and that it's his will. So they're about to uh, charge him with the crimes and Paul says something very interesting in chapter 25, I appeal to Caesar, who remembers their church history, right? Paul history in Acts, right? We've gone through this as a church many times, and I'm sure you've read this chapter. You've read through Acts many times in your life as a Christian. 
So it says he appealed to Caesar. Now, this is what's interesting, and I want to just read this to you. It says in chapter 26, then the king, who would be Agrippa, the governor would be Felix, and Bernice. This is chapter 26, verse 30. So they have a council together, right? This is man. Everybody say these are men. These are not, this is not God, and they are not led by the Spirit of God for that matter. Well, they don't think they are. God is in much more control than we realize or think. This is the Roman government. And they said, verse 31 of Acts 26, as they went out, they talked it over, and they agreed. This man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. So Paul is innocent. And Agrippa, verse 32, said to Festus, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Now, I just thought this was incredibly interesting because Paul is about to get off, but because of one tiny statement he makes, he is now put in a series of events that includes being in chains for the rest of his life because of one statement, I appeal to Caesar. Now, we know, because you can read it, we just read in Philippians, and we're going to turn back there. Apparently, Philippians, among many of the other books that he wrote, were when? While he was in chains. So we have an innocent man who's put in chains and is off on this journey. Ultimately, we know from church history, it's not in our Bible, that he was beheaded, right? Finally, he ends up before the emperor of Rome and he's beheaded for Christ. The interesting thing is this. God and his plan for Paul included chains. It included chains put on by man. But because of those chains, it took Paul places that no one else could go. He ended up with people and places that only a man in chains would be. Do you guys get this? And God knew God wanted to reach the Roman government they don't care about some crazy Jew. I'm saying it that way because they looked at the Jews. They looked down on them. They were the occupied nation, so they certainly didn't care about some sort of fringe new belief that even branched off from Judaism. And yet God, through Paul and through his chains, has a guy stand before councils and governors and kings. Do you understand? And so the price that it cost him of being in chains was worth the furtherance of the gospel. Wow. I was thinking why it's so significant, though, is how many times in our life could we get stuck with the ifs? If I had only not done that, if I only didn't say that. You know how, like, you say something to someone and you can just never get those words back. Doesn't matter how much apologizing you do and how much love you give, they always hear those, that one phrase you said and you wish you'd never said it, right? And yet, because of that one if, because of that one statement, it, it actually put 
Paul on the path that God had ordained for him. Wow. We could get so stuck on, man, if, if I had never done this, if I had never said this, if I had never gone there, I wish I, was, I wish I had listened to this one and listened to that one. And yet, the Bible says, it says this, Paul is writing in Philippians, in those very chains, don't fret. Don't have anxiety about anything. He says, just bring it before the Lord, prayer. And he says, and thank him. Thank him for everything. And then he says this, and God's peace. See, Paul was not writing about a theoretical peace. Paul was writing about a peace that he lived. And this is what's so incredible. Paul had come to a place, and this is what it says, back, we're back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Everybody following me? It says here in verse 7, and God's peace shall be yours. It says in the Amplified Classic, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. See, what is the peace? It's the peace is that it's not peace in your circumstance. It's not that you have peace that you have chains. It's not that you have peace that you're going through a trial. That peace is secondary. In order to have peace in your circumstances, you must first have peace that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and I'm saved. And when you can find that place, when you find the peace in that place, then everything else comes into peace. It says this. It says in the Amplified, being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. The peace that he's talking about is no matter what you face. Listen, this is what we've seen through Philippians, the theme here. Whatever and whatever I've experienced, it, I've come to the place where it's not just that I have peace in Christ when I feel peace, but I came to a place of peace that includes any circumstance, whatever sort that is, whatever this earth has brought me, whatever I'm going through, I'm going to have peace. In the, in the New King James, it says this, and the peace of God which surpasses, everybody, it surpasses, everybody say with me, it surpasses all understanding. I talked last week how there's an earthly understanding and there's a spiritual understanding. The Bible says that the peace of God surpasses earthly understanding. Paul had come to the understanding that God was using his life for a greater purpose. He knew that the Holy Spirit had led him in this direction, even though he had prophecies telling him what would come from it. He knew the Holy Spirit wanted him to go this way. When the Lord asks you to do something difficult, when the Lord you know is leading you through a trial that you know that he has directed you to go this way, you know that it's God's will that I go through what I'm going through, and yet God doesn't deliver you from all the circumstances of it, but he's going to deliver you at the end of it. And that's what Paul knew. That's the peace. He had come to the place that he knew that one day the chains would be off. Even his head came off. 
But one day he would be with Christ forever. In fact, we know that, right? He's like, I'm torn. You know, I just want to go be with the Lord, but it's better that I stay here for now. Of course, you can really understand why he would say, I want to go be with the Lord, right? We, we say sometimes when it's a little too hot outside or circumstances are a little too tough, I'm ready for heaven. Imagine Paul. No wonder he said, I kind of want to go be with Christ. I'm torn. But he said, for the furtherance of the kingdom, for your sakes, I'm going to stay here. and I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to serve the Lord here because I know my life can be used by him. And then he says this in the NLT, Philippians 4, verse 12. There's so many nuggets in Philippians. Man, I realize this book has so many of the statements, like the statements of faith that we live by. It says in verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He's saying this again in chains. He's saying this unjustly put into chains when he went to Jerusalem, the Jews are the ones that put him in there, but because of them, they put him into the Roman system, and now that's it. Now he's like lost in 2,000-year-old bureaucracy. I mean, he's literally just lost in the system until he can finally get to Rome. And he said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Everybody say, in every situation situation. You see the common theme here that he's going through? Anything, everything. See, sometimes, like I said last week, we say, well, you don't understand. My situation is different. We all think that our circumstances are different than others, right? And no one understands. But if you really learn the Word of God, which is a superseding, a surpassing understanding, a, a peace that surpasses then I have to understand that actually when he says everything and anything, he means it. And he says whether I have a full stomach, whether it's empty, whether I've got plenty, whether I've got little, whether I'm comfortable or I'm uncomfortable, whether I'm hot, whether I'm cold, whether I feel loved or, I'm, or I feel unloved, whether I'm uh, taken care of, and everybody's nice to me, or I'm abused. He says, I can do everything. This is my secret. I learned it's through Christ who gives me strength. And verse 19 says, and this same God who takes care of me. See, now I love how Paul says to the Philippians, I'm going to teach you what's happened in my life, and I want you to understand something the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Who's blessed already? The word is so good, isn't it? I want to look uh, from this. I want to spring from here now. I want you to look with me. And I believe that was important to lay this foundation most likely, I say most likely because I don't want to speak for the Holy Spirit. He may change next week, change my mind next week. It's not him changing his mind. But I'll probably get into this for two weeks. So I'm just going to start here for the next few minutes. But I want to move from that to another man who was in chains in the same way. I want you to see this was not just Paul. Paul was not the only person 
who was innocently put into a situation that he couldn't help, but yet he learned to embrace it? <laughs> he learned to embrace it. He learned to find peace in his situation. He actually learned to start, he, thank, he was a thankfulness. He found that he could thank God, even in that situation. And then if you read through the letters that he wrote during these chains, you actually see so many miracles. He's talking about how he's blessed by this one and blessed by that one, and I was with you here, and, and I love being with you guys there, and so on, and he goes on and on. And then it says this. It says, uh, the word says that Joseph went through the same thing that Paul did thousands of years in, earlier, the same story. I want you just to hear this. I've mentioned Joseph many times in the last six months, and I've pointed to his story, but I have not actually read any of his text. Uh, but he's come up a lot. The Lord has been bringing him into the sermon, like he just comes into my sermon. It wasn't in my notes, and Joseph enters my sermon many times over the last six months. Sometimes I don't remember what I wrote. I can't go back and check all my notes because he wasn't in there. But I know I've mentioned Joseph many times over the last six months, and I felt like I needed to bring some text into this week, and again, like I said, most likely next week as well. But I just want you to hear this. Joseph was a slave for 11 years, and then he was put in prison for two more years after that. 13 years in captivity, and he was innocent. Joseph remained faithful to God, even though he could have rebelled and he could have become bitter. Joseph was abused, yet he forgave. This is a picture of, of Jesus. And then we see that he went lower and lower and lower. And it's a kingdom principle. In order to go higher in the kingdom, you must go lower. Jesus said, whoever wants to be the greatest must be the least, right? So this principle has been established throughout our entire word. Joseph's story is only here in Genesis 37. We're only 37 chapters in to the beginning of the Bible that takes us a year to read, and already the Lord's giving us a very clear picture of what it means to truly stand in the gap for your brothers and sisters, giving us the picture of Christ, ultimately then the picture of us on the earth, Paul living in the image of Christ, 37 chapters in, laying the foundation for the Christian walk. Isn't that amazing? It says that Joseph was loved more by his father than his brothers, and his brothers became jealous of them, of him, and his the, Jacob gives Joseph, right, a coat of many colors, and Joseph uh, is also this innocent young man uh, who is a dreamer, and he comes and he tells his brother a dream. He says, I had a dream that uh, there was some stalks of wheat, and my stalk of wheat was standing there, and your stalks of wheat came and bowed down to me, and his brothers get even more mad at him. And they say, you know, you think that we're going to bow down to you? And so uh, this hatred starts to, to grow, and 
Joseph was also, because of his innocence, uh, he was also a tattletale, right? But some innocent children are, right? They're so by the book, they're in the... They maybe not have anything against his brothers, but right what happens? It says that Joseph would tell on his brothers when they did something wrong, would tell his father. So this jealousy and hatred grows towards Joseph, and we know the story, what happens. They take Joseph, and they sell him into slavery. They're going to kill him, but they say, you know, what's the use in killing him? If we actually sell him, uh, then it'll be easier for us to cover it all up. And so chapter 39 of Genesis says in verse 1, Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, and he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. And it says that Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, so it's not an accident that the Lord had Potiphar be the man who would buy him. Why is this important? Because fast forward, we know the story. He's going to need to get into a special type of prison, right? He's going to need to be with some of the people that are around the Pharaoh, all right? That's going to be down, down the road in his story about 13 years from now. Wow. Wow. So the Lord, 13 years in advance, says, I'm going to allow this jealousy to cause a pain on you. Jealousy and bitterness and envy. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus was crucified because of jealousy and envy? Joseph actually is what we call a type and a shadow. He is the picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Joseph was put into a place of bondage because others were jealous and envious of God's gifts on his life, on the love of the Father for him, and it put him in a place, he was innocent, but it put him in a place of bondage. And it says in verse 2, Genesis 39, that the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Joseph was put there by who? Who was Joseph put there by? Well, we don't know, right? You're you're confused. You don't know how to answer me because you think I'm tricking you because you're like, well, I know it's God, but his brothers did it, right? We know the end of the story is going to be one of the punchlines I'm going to get to in about 10 minutes, that God did it. But who did it in the natural? Man did it. Natural Human jealousies, natural envy, put him there, right? Your earthly circumstances can put you in a place and you can look to the natural circumstances and blame them the rest of your life. You can be stuck and think, man, if only, if only I had shut my mouth, if only I was never a dreamer, if only I never had that dream, if only I never told anybody about my dreams, if only my father wasn't so nice to me and in and, and front of my brothers, I mean, we could go through all the crazy ifs. And yet the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. So it says he succeeds in everything he does. And then just fast forward here, Potiphar sees it, verse 3. And, and so Potiphar puts him in charge of his house. Who wants to be in charge in bondage? 
It's kind of like my kids always, Levi's always saying, would you rather? Would you rather this or rather that? And I said, I don't want either. Who likes those would you rathers? I hate them. Would you rather no toes or no fingers? I'd rather my toes and my fingers, okay? <laughs> and he's basically saying, would you rather be in bondage or be in charge in bondage? I mean, that one's easier. I'd rather be in charge in bondage, but I don't want to be in bondage. And you get my point, though, that sometimes life puts you in a place and we could be so frustrated, so miserable, and yet the Bible says the Lord was with him. We need to learn, like Paul did, to recognize God in your trial. Because what will happen is, 13 years later, you're just going to be miserable and bitter. Or you can get to the place where Paul did, and he began to embrace the thankfulness and gratefulness of God. I know this is hard to hear. But whatever your circumstances, no matter how hot it is, no matter how cold it is in your workplace, right, no matter how miserable the people are treating you, right, no matter how long your commute is, no matter how far from your family you are, no matter how alone you feel, etc., all those circumstances must be surpassed by a peace that is only found locked into God's word. And what's interesting is Joseph has nobody. He's got no church, right? He's got no worship music. <laughs> we have lots of crutches, and I'm thankful for them. The Lord's not judging us for our, the things that we have. Those are all for our good. But you realize for him to stay faithful was an amazing feat because everything was pushing him to become miserable and bitter. And anyway, we know what happens. Potiphar's wife false, falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. So what happens? Joseph is now not just uh, a slave. That was hard enough for 11 years. But for the next two years of his life, now he's going to be a prisoner, which was significant though. Why? Because 11 years ago, 11 years ago, the guy that put him there was working for Pharaoh. So naturally the prison that he would go into was the king's prison. And so what happens? It says that the Lord was with, verse 39, verse 21, I mean, chapter 39, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in prison. So even though it was unjust, even lower, even more, the Bible says that the Lord was with him and showed him, it says, faithful love. And then again, he is actually promoted even the warden sees it. He's put in charge. Again, would you rather be in prison and just be some guy, or would you rather be in charge in prison? I know it's a tough would you rather, but do you see how the Lord actually can give us grace? You have to learn to recognize his grace and faithfulness in sometimes in your trial, in slavery, and even completely in bondage. The Lord still is giving you grace and mercy. We, learn, we need to learn as believers to recognize it during our time of trial. Amen. Do you see that? And it says, verse 23, the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, if I was Joseph, I would have rather been succeeding back in my father's house and say, Lord, this is where I want to be, but the Lord's will be done. Anyway, chapter 40, 
because I'm gonna I'll get more into this. I'm not gonna. Don't worry. I know it's 12:10. I'm not gonna preach this for the next 30 minutes. I'm just get making a point here. What happens? We know cupbearer comes in there, right? We got the king's cupbearer, right? The king's servants. And they're in there, and they have dreams, and Joseph's like, I'm, I know, I, you know, the Lord can interpret your dream, I can do it. And then he says to them, you know, remember me. And then he says this in Genesis 40, which I think is important to note. He tells him to remember him, go back to Pharaoh and tell him this, you know, that I'm innocent. He said, verse 15, I was kidnapped from my homeland. I was kidnapped from peace, and I've been put in a place of bondage the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison and I did nothing to deserve it. Now here's what happens. Chapter 41, it says in verse 1, two full years later. Who can say to the Lord, who can, you know, you think, man, it's been 11 years, but here's my chance, and it's two more years. Now what happens? We know Pharaoh has a dream. No one in the land can interpret Pharaoh's dream. So this is what's amazing. It says, verse 9 of chapter 41. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up, and he says, I've been reminded of my failure. Now, it's easy for him to say, isn't it? A little hard for Joseph in prison. You know what? I forgot. Actually, Pharaoh, I forgot. I totally forgot. I'm just so sorry. I, I forgot two years ago. Well, Joseph's still in prison. Uh, there's a guy in there. He's a young Hebrew, and he, can, he told us our dreams. Maybe he could tell you your dream. So they bring him out. It says, verse 14, I want you to hear this verse because I want you to be encouraged by this. Because I'm not prophesying here to anyone that, like Paul, you're going to be in chains until you're beheaded. That's not my point. My point is that the Lord will be with you during the trial. There are lessons to be learned. There is a maturity that is happening in it. And we need to learn to have peace in every single circumstance. That's in the good times and in the hard times. Because we need to recognize that God, if, if God is God, come on, let's just raise our hands. I'm testifying. God is God. And if we're going to testify of that, right, when we got saved, then I must come to the place where I have peace in every single circumstance. And I have no right in God to be anxious or worried or fearful or certainly to rebel and sin and pull away because I don't feel like dealing with this. Amen. And so... It says this in verse 14, and this is the word the Lord has for you. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. There came a moment. It took 13 years. And we don't like that. No one wants to hear that. But at one, in, in an instant, it says, and I love how it says, he was quickly brought from prison at once and quickly. We call these the suddenlies. Who's aware of the suddenlies in God, right? Suddenlies. Suddenly, everything changes. Who believes that your baptism, suddenly everything's going to change? I believe those waters are going to change some things. Amen. Suddenly, some things are going to change at once. Suddenly, he's clean. They gave him new clothes. He's changed. He's shaved. He's, he's standing before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, 
you know, can you tell me my dream? He's like, I can tell you, the, I can't tell you the dream, but God can. And that's testimony right there. We don't really have any information about him during the 13 years of his heart. The reason we can surmise that he remained faithful is because of how he, how he handled Potiphar's wife, that's one. Two, that they all put him in place of a position and power, so that shows us that he was honorable and had integrity. And finally, the third reason that we can see that he was faithful is that after 13 years, he says, I can't do it, but God can. He still knows that it's God and God alone. It's God who is, it's his God. He's still calling him his God. And so he gives the interpretation from God. And then he's like, you need to get somebody in power. There's going to be a famine, but somebody needs to take care of this nation. During that time, Pharaoh looks at him and says, who's better than you? Puts his own, his own ring from his own finger on him, puts his own garments on him, parades him through the streets and says, if, if he comes by, this is me. When you see him, that's me. He's the only, he is second in command and only, the only one higher is me. Literally, Joseph went from a Jew uh, and also a shepherd. We know you can look further into the story that the Egyptians hated shepherds. They despised them. And here's this Jewish shepherd who is now a king. And it says this. We'll look more into the story. Now I know for sure we will, because it's a lot. Barely touched it. But I'm going to fast forward with you, and I'm going to leave you with this. They, at the very end, Jacob ends up down there, right? Who knows the story, right? They go, and they, it's a big, long story, but Jacob ends there in Egypt, and he saves everyone. And he says, it says that when Jacob died... Genesis chapter 50, verse, let's start with uh, 15. It says, now that their father was dead, they said they were fearful because they're like, well, now Joseph's anger is going to pay us back for all the wrong we did. And verse 16 says this. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers. Wow, that's asking a lot. Who would like to be put into 13 years of slavery and then just all you have to do is just forgive? That's all. Just forgive them. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Please forgive. This is the breakthrough. This is the breakthrough right here. This is why Joseph was placed because he had already forgiven them. He just, it's going to be stated here, but it was already done. He says, please forgive for the great wrong they did to you. Their sin is treating you cruelly and, and so on. He didn't say any of this, but they're just nervous. And Joseph received the message, and he broke down and wept. Verse 18, then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. Now, this is a mirror of what they had done when they first came there, right? But this is a prophetic picture of exactly what he had dreamt as a young boy. And now there's no pride in it. There's no him watching them bow down to him. Right? All his he had been he had been humbled by the Lord. There is zero pride. And it's in humility. Right? Pride comes before the fall. But the humble, the Lord says, will he'll lift them up. And sometimes he forces you to be humble to that place of brokenness and weeping before the Lord. And that sounds so hard, but it gets us to a place of maturity. We come into a place where we forgive. 
where we love, we come to peace. And it's that peace that he had. And he said, verse 19, this is the very last thing. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God, wow. It does not matter what and why and how you were put into the position you are. You need to recognize that it doesn't matter who did it to you, what they said, and how much it hurt. God did it. God allowed it. God intended it all for good. He brought me. He did it. God did it. You think you did it, and it hurt me in the natural. But actually, God was in it because it brought me to this position I'm in now so I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Wow. God is so good, isn't he? No matter what has happened, anything, everything, there is a peace that we must come to. There is a settling. There is a humility. We must let go of everything and everyone. You cannot have, the if you want bondage, hold it against someone. You want bondage, be bitter, be hard, get angry. You want bondage, that's it. Or we can learn to come into the place where we forgive and we forget and we release. And I'm telling you, by his word, that's the place. Until those chains come off, you will have an internal peace. And then there'll come a day where that internal peace becomes external. Because the Bible says that he named his son Manasseh, which means what? God has made me forget all my pain, all my misery. He literally names his son as a testimony that everything he went through, he came to an internal peace, and then there's the external peace. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you, God. I pray that it would be good seed and good ground. Grow this in us, Lord God. Grow it in us. I pray, God, that we would release those. We release the things, Lord, that have put us in places of bondage. We release it, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, God. There is a freedom that's coming. There is an instantaneous cleansing, Lord, a releasing and a cleansing and a promotion to, Lord, a place, Lord, of freedom and of peace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Bless you.